Welcome to the Safe Haven Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda. The Safe Haven Podcast is a space for you to be real, raw, emotional, vulnerable, hilarious, and are completely carefree. This podcast offers a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life, and a judgment-free zone. Join me and my powerful guests as we dive into a variety of conversations and topics. Listen from where you are, as you are. Think, laugh, and cry along with us, whether you're in your car, in your kitchen, chasing your kids, running your business, caregiving for someone that you love, getting a mani-pedi while you're in the hospital, a treatment center, sitting on the deck, on the dock, or out for a run. These weekly stories and messages will hit you right in the heart, fill up your cup, and recharge your spirits. I fought a smile that whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like we were just talking about how much I love this podcast and I love this podcast so much. Uh, so guys, job. thank you. <laughs> so today we are introducing my new friend. We're going to be great friends. I feel this. I think so. <laughs> thank you to Catherine Barube for putting me in touch with Nicola Barsoom. 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 Yeah. Egyptian. Yep. Egyptian last name. Super Barsoom. cool. Thanks, also Dad. Also very cool. Thanks, <laughs> thanks Dad. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, let's give a huge shout out to Catherine Brube, who's now yeah. Catherine Darling. We have a mutual love for this woman. Yes, we do. And we each have our own histories. But yeah, mega shout out because when I had done my recording, so if you haven't listened to Catherine's recording, um, I can't even remember when it released now, but it, um, she shares her story about working at Rangers and about her mom dying from ALS and just about how women in the wilderness and that connected vibe that you feel out in the bush mm-hmm. you know has really brought her to where she's at really it's been such a foundation for her yeah but the coolest thing is is aren't you the chick that she refers to in her podcast <laughs> that's like jacked and just chucks the grumman over her shoulders <laughs> yeah it was fun to get that <laughs> that was shout out in yeah. there <laughs> like oh wow <laughs> oh, so good so when i'd actually asked her and i was like yo you must have some really cool friends. Do you have anybody that's living in BC? Because I am moving to BC. Mm. And then it took a little while for you and I to actually get connected, I think, just because you've been busy. I've been busy. I've been mm-hmm. around the world and back. And so this actually worked out so well because you're in the cusp and hanging mm-hmm. out with us. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. And you brought us a cake. I did. Thank you. Chocolate cake. It's so good. <laughs> gosh let's get into your story so we obviously um know that you have because you were on the podcast via miss Catherine Brube mm-hmm. that you were a ranger mm-hmm. so I really want to talk a little bit about that as to you know what what was your story that brought you to an interest in rangers and Sioux Lookout hmm Um, yeah, well, I was looking for work, I guess, and looking for experiences at a young age. Um, Rangers was an amazing program, and I'm also really sad. I know Barube's done a lot to try to keep that program alive, along with a lot of the other staff and and past Rangers. Mm -hmm. So it was really sad when the Harper government decided to cut that program. It had been going on for years, and it was a like generation after generation type of program of getting 17 year olds out into the bush, um, guys camps and girls camps and uh, working outside together. And mm-hmm. for me, that was, um, I guess, the type of experience I was looking for to kind of get away from home at that age, get outside into the wilderness 
and challenge myself and mm-hmm. see what I could do. And I know I had some some of my parents' friends, I think, turn me on to the fact that the, that program was happening. Mm-hmm. And I was stoked when I got in. And uh, yeah, got to go up to Sioux Lookout, um, which is where I was with Catherine. Uh, we were roommates up there. Yeah. And um and uh, and and do that like challenge myself and be in the bush and learn a lot of new skills and mm-hmm. canoe trip and uh, live and work with other women. Yeah, women in wilderness. I know. Power. It is incredibly powerful. Yeah. 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 It's a really amazing thing. So. Yeah, and then so from there, the coolest thing is is that I just learned is that you and Catherine not only were you roommates there, you went to university together. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell us about that. Um, okay, so at Rangers, it was like pretty rustic living. Mm-hmm. We were in a really long, big bunkhouse. Um, and uh, we were pretty far northern Ontario. So the temperature of the summer by the end was getting pretty chilly. Mm-hmm. Um, but Catherine and I had a, a room together, I guess. It was like a big bunkhouse with sort of half walls and a little locker and a little bunk and your little table between you two. Yeah. So we were roommates and we did a lot of like fun things like dress ups together with our whole bunkhouse. And I mean, honestly, like a lot that summer, I was introduced to a diva cup for the first time at that, that long age. Ago? Yeah. Yeah, that long ago. And it was so cool because we were all so close Mm -hmm. having, I mean, we were living so remotely. Yeah. We were working all the time, clearing trails, going on canoe trips, clearing out the portage routes, um, and, and just like pushing ourselves and, and, you know, doing like some not great work, like cleaning, like out around those northern Ontario dumps which are essentially just clearings in the wood where people would toss their garbage and Mm -hmm. the bears and animals would tear them into the woods and we would go and clean up the garbage and it don't just doing that type of thing so bonding so to have our um the women who are older than us who are the sort of supervisors be like hey you should know about this. This is the Diva Cup. You should try it. You should explore it. And we yeah. got, were close enough to be able to like be in the bathroom stalls being like, oh, is yours working? Yeah, mine is. <laughs> mine, mine's not. I like, oh, my sucking up my inside. <laughs> how, like, how do I do this? And yeah. share that type of intimate learning with each other. So uh, that is pretty intimate. Very intimate. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> it's something I totally thought about was, more of a new thing. I didn't realize that it oh, was, yeah. has been around. Well, I'm sure there's been something around like it, but I didn't realize that it was even called like a diva cup or. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was something that we did to, yeah, uh, together and that type of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I found out that she was also applying for University of Guelph, we decided to apply to be roommates and got accepted to do that too. So our first year of university together away from home, kind of in a more yeah. permanent way, um, was living in Johnson's Hall, University of Guelph, in Party Central, <laughs> trying to study and pass all of our classes. Yeah. <laughs> good. It was a good bonding experience too. <laughs> I Yeah. What was your, uh, yeah. so you, what did you take at Guelph? Mm. Um, what programs? So I started out in studio art. Um, which I loved. I was really passionate about it. Um, I also 
was influenced by by people in my life at that time who were trying to get me to be a little bit more practical. So I also um, was really interested in world issues. Mm-hmm. Um, living up at Rangers actually was the first time I was ever exposed to um, some of the indigenous issues that we have mm-hmm. in Canada. Uh, we were living, um, um, I mean, even on one of our portage trips on our on our, one of our canoe trips we came across an old residential school that was abandoned wow. and um the feeling of that place has stuck with me for a really long time and so I became really curious I think that experience really led to it of what are we living in in terms of our structures and how we govern ourselves and what are um, the structures that make decisions for us, who are making the decisions for us, what does that look like and why are certain things being done the way they're being done. Mm -hmm. So I started to focus my studies on those types of issues on, uh, world issues, international development, environmental law, public policy. Um, you know, there was a lot of like really sort of dry Canadian constitution type of classes yeah. but a lot of it um you know studying the history of um the politics of China and the Middle East and things like that just really opened up my eyes to not only our um local government issues uh, and our national issues but also the global issues and and so many interconnected parts of the puzzle and um just get a better idea of what was going on in the world and being able to bring it back home a little bit to what I was seeing in a, like a day-to-day life. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything else that really stands out as for, you know, some experiences or life experiences like you had, like the residential school in particular that helped drive that interest in particular? Um, I mean, I guess when I was in university, the environmental um, policy classes really took me right away mm-hmm. um, because I'd kind of grown up more connected to the land and being in a place where I grew up in the city, but my backyard backed onto a forested ravine. And so I was really connected to the to the land growing up, being able to go out and play out there. Um, also, I have um, both my my parents are, from, are immigrants to Canada. And so even in high school, being challenged with um, immigration policies and perspectives mm-hmm. um I was in high school when 9-11 happened and the backlash um that I felt even not being like visually a minority but the fact that people knew that my family was Middle Eastern mm-hmm. um affected me and so I wanted to understand some of these things and 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 the environmental stuff was really it was really intriguing because it was again that those everyday things so um where our food was coming from learning about the factory food and um the environmental impacts of of big cattle um yards and the manure piles and the runoff into waterways and things like this which i am like every time i eat i i'm thinking about this like where does this come from Mm -hmm. what are like what are the the choices that we're making as a society to bring this food to us and what happens after and so I started just like thinking more about the systems that we live in um and and it kind of just like drove me to keep learning about those types of things yeah I always find that that when it comes down to uh to something that you're studying 
if it is driven by that personal interest, it's so much more likely to stick and to resonate with you. And you're going to want to continue propelling yourself forward in that way. I mean, think of how many times you've had to sit through a lecture, a class of something you have no interest in. But if you're stoked on a subject area or certain circumstances or events or a specific kind of history, that's where it's at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. I really Mm -hmm. admire that. I really admire that, especially because you were able to kind of pinpoint your interest and your intrigue and and kind of run with it a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. Did you chase anything after university that was specific to your studies? Um, yeah, so after university, I worked, um, with the region of Waterloo, which is regional government doing water conservation, um, programming. Mm -hmm. So I was focused on the outdoor water use and trying to reduce the use through certain, there's certain programs, rain, rain barrel programs and, um, you know, restricting people with bylaws and watering their lawns and things like that. And it was good. It was kind of a summer job through university. And then I took it on for a contract after to try to, um, sort of expand. I did more of a research project on, on harvesting rainwater to use for outdoor water use. And the whole idea with that was to maximize our infrastructure potential so that, um, you always have to build the infrastructure to meet peak demand. Mm -hmm. And so water use is always summertime peak demand. Everybody's outside filling their pools and the sprinklers going and everything like that. So if you can reduce the peak demand, your infrastructure um, is just able to have more of a capacity. You don't have to expand your capacity to meet these massive peaks. Got it. So, I mean, it, it made sense and it felt really good. And then at a the certain point, it kind of dawned on me, like I, I just sort of started to get worn out by like driving around on patrols or organizing other people to go out on patrols to see if people were watering their lawn to try to like help right. with water. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed like just too slow and kind of backwards and just not enough. Like I, I, I am the type and I think it does come from Rangers and from all of the other women that I've been inspired by to be like, we need to do something about this. And so let's do it. And, and that, that type of action is needed, but it was just too slow and, and honestly a bit too boring for me. So I quit that. I decided not to take the the new contract that they were proposed. I bartended for a couple of years and had a radio show actually, and which is super cool. <laughs> it was really fun. Um, paid off a lot of my student debt, and then I did this um, Otesha bike tour, and that was a huge thing for me in my life in terms of um, the passion that was really seeded during Rangers and the information that I gathered in my university um, education to go out and actually put it into practice. Mm -hmm. So um, the Tesha tour is a two-month bike tour. It's organized by this nonprofit called Otesha started by two women who biked across Canada trying to raise awareness about sustainability issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that uh, I did in the summer of 2012. And it was amazing. It was... How far did you bike and where did you bike? What what areas did you cover? um, We biked from Fredericton um, to... um, Where did we end up? In Halifax. So we biked all around the Bay of Fundy. Super in New Brunswick cool. to Nova Scotia. Yeah. And then we ended our official tour there with the nine of us and me and another friend hit the road again on our bikes and, and couldn't really stop. Yeah. 
So where did you keep going? Um, well, we were doing a lot of like guerrilla theater. We had a play. We had a bunch of um, like classes. We were stopping at schools and, and sleeping in church basements and people's backyards and, and just trying to like anywhere we go, like spark the topic of mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like in terms of living in a way that is, is sustainable, what does that look like? And, and uh, it was really like constant excitement and constant mm-hmm. like action because we also had a food mandate that we had to agree on. We were using consensus decision-making for everything. And it was the first time, though, that I ever stopped and, and stayed on um, organic farms. Okay. So on that bike tour, we we were staying in community halls and, and like I said, a lot of church basements, but also on a number of farms. And meeting some of the people who were farming um, – I think I just became so inspired because a lot of these things that we were putting into practice in our little bike tour um, and that time we were spending together kind of in that focused way, I saw in a lifestyle, I saw in in like a, a, a family and a community way that was really like taking it to the next level as far as I was concerned, these like small scale family farms. Um, and so they're not only providing for themselves as a family, it's also kind of community sharing related. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just people who were um, like some of the happiest people I'd ever met. Yeah. Who, you know, were being like, oh, you know, I just had like my baby on the floor over there a couple months ago yeah. and I go over there and milk the cow and, and like our garden provides for us right here. And then we like network with our, with our neighbors who raise bees and we, we like trade with our other neighbors who raise animals wow. for meat. And that type of, I mean, it was what I had been really taught in school. Mm-hmm. We need to learn how to be more self-sustaining within our local systems. And from like a governance government perspective that that has like, you know, when you're in school, it's like, okay, but what does that actually look like? Yeah. And so meeting these people in these family farms in these like this farming communities. Like. Exactly. I was like, oh, <laughs> you guys are really cool. You're doing it. And it's so different than what I grew up with, which was yeah. a lot of like, you know, like my my grandma my baba had a huge garden but you know like go to the store and get your food from the store and like mm-hmm. not have necessarily a lot of connection to where my life comes from yeah. and that's what i was really i think in all of this like from my wilderness studies or, or wilderness experiences that like connection to what's real mm-hmm. like just life and the beauty of it and then like kind of feeling like I was losing touch with that while I was in school and working for the government and really wanting something real again and 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 with that focus too on on terms of like resiliency and yeah and sustainability and and what challenging really what that means that makes sense (laughs) yeah oh it totally does okay then after you and a friend had taken off after after the uh, tour that you did how much longer was it before you moved to BC? Um, it was the next winter. So my friend Andrea and I split off after the bike tour and continued on and visited some of her friends, again, who were farming. And then that next winter, um, me and my partner at that time decided to move out to Revelstoke. And he was just finishing his master's. 
and I was really proud of him and we just wanted to kind of get away and um, go out to the mountains yeah. and actually Catherine had been out yeah. there the year before so That's we right. had gone and visited her and and gone to Revelstoke for the first time for me anyway and I was like this is amazing <laughs> I know it was a challenging winter for her but yeah. to be in the mountains and like and uh, just like again like that the wilderness and that like ah life it's so mm-hmm. wild here and you can just feel the clean the cleanliness of always, it and I've always oh. said that I always feel like when I land in BC I breathe differently if that makes sense mm-hmm. it's it's so special mm-hmm. so special even spending more time out here in the Kootenays it's just it's remarkable yeah 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 so, so when came you came out, out here then, you drove across and yeah. Revelstoke was home for a while? Yep. Revelstoke was home for that winter. Mm-hmm. Um, I snowboard bummed that winter. And then that following summer, I decided to um, follow that thread of farming. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I still couldn't really decide, like, what do I want to do with my life? And that question that keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um for me and I know for for many other people but um I just like was remembering like the the looks on the faces of those people and that life that they were living and I was just like I want to do more than like work on a farm I want to immerse myself in that and I want to so not just know what it feels like you're super keen on actually having the space that's your own to having and then to contribute from yeah um like I just wanted to go. So I, actually, I found there's this um, thing called the soil. It's the stewards of irreplaceable land. Oh. And they set up internships um, with people who want to farm, with people who want to learn how to farm. Uh, sorry, who are farming, who want to offer the internships. Um, and so I found Stellar Seeds in Johnson's Landing, BC, which was not that far from Revelstoke. And um, they're a seed-saving farm focused on heritage varieties. And I thought this was amazing. I I have experienced gardening. I kind of know what, you know, how to grow tomatoes and lettuce and peas and things. But seed-saving is like a whole another side of the life cycle of a plant that when you're harvesting it, when it's mature, you don't really get to see. Um, and I had just gotten exposed through some friends to women like Vandana Shiva and the work she's doing is seed saving. I don't know if, if you know, out in, in, in East India, um, they're really trying to um, retain their local seed bank. And there's a real push from companies like Monsanto to sell things like Roundup Ready seeds that have a... Uh, a certain genetic component that doesn't allow them to procreate. Okay. So they are they are able to withstand the pesticide that will kill all the weeds and and make farming easier in that way. But it, when farmers do this, when they start buying into this type of seed bank, they can't continue to save their own seed. And so Vandana Shiva is somebody who is speaking up against the importance of local seed banks and local sustainability in that way. If you maintain the seed of life, you have the potential to continue to plant those seeds and have more seeds and plant those seeds and have more seeds and take care of yourself in that way. If you give up the seed, you are completely dependent 
on the company to always you have to go back to them year right. after year and rebuy your seed right. so it for me it finished the life cycle in farming to look at it in that scale again like I kind of geek out with like systems systems design and yeah. like the overarching like how are we going to do this people how are we going to do this <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I went and worked on that on that seed saving farm and learned how to seed save and it was like like plant sex it's so cool <laughs> gotta love plant sex it's very beautiful <laughs> it is yeah oh, so, so what did you dive into first did you start renting a place immediately or how did that happen no I was I was uh, I did this internship with uh, these amazing couple Patrick and Colleen um Colleen O'Brien and Patrick Steiner they both live in Caslow now Mm -hmm. and they were running Stellar Seeds out in Johnson's Landing and it was this it was a organic seed company and so I lived in a little school bus um on the farm and I like one of those school buses that I dream of as like a tiny home that moves well this one was like parked (laughs) it was no longer moving (laughs) but the interior was was redone so it was a little tiny home school bus yeah it was a really sweet thing it was amazing because I got to like the elk would come down (gasps) out of the woods in the evening it's like very wild out there even Mm -hmm. though there's like you know there's stuff from farmland and it's a homesteading community and they would be close enough to the bus that I could just sit there and hear them chomping grass oh and that is amazing watch them yeah. so beautiful and like that dusk time and it was a hard time I had like just gone through a big breakup with mm. my um ex who stayed in Revelstoke and feeling like I needed to like take this big step and immerse myself in farming and so it was just like beautiful I don't know this beautiful time of like this like sorrow and heartache and also this like gratitude for the beauty of life both in like what I was seeing in the wilderness and what I was doing on the farm Mm -hmm. so it was a really really cool summer cool experience and from the internship that you had there what what came next or what kept you there as soon as you were into this internship you're like oh my gosh I want to stay is this a long-term thing at that point in your head um yeah I mean that summer was incredible I feel like it helped me both um, like grieve mm-hmm. a lot um, in a safe space. In a safe space, yeah. it was like me and people I trusted, and the plants, and the mm-hmm. soil, and mm-hmm. the sun, and the rain, and it was just so simple. Yeah, and so little distraction um, that I finally really got to face some hard things that I had gone through in my life most significantly at that point was was the death of my aunt and my uncle um who died kind of right after each other really close to me and the, and their two kids Jake and Jesse my my um parents adopted and it was just a huge family process mm-hmm. and that happened when my uncle died um, b- before, right before I moved out to BC. So it was this time of just like dealing with that. Yeah. And also with, um, 
you know, I think up to that point, as much as I was like really, really inspired by a lot of the people that I knew, like Catherine and like, oh my gosh, Tamara and Andrea and Trish and like so many people on my Otesha tour and just people I was meeting along the way, like riding with the group of women I was ended up riding with a lot in Revelstoke and, and everything. There was still this like overarching, like, what the fuck? what the heck yeah. you, can, you can totally swear can I <laughs> you bring it out let's get it I heard the what the Sorry. fuck I'm okay with it <laughs> I should have checked it's about that it's explicit no okay. go for it let her rip <laughs> okay so but that's um, kind of when you had that like oh my gosh what am I doing with my life kind of like no, or what are you missing it was more like the what the hell are we doing like ah. this like the environmental catastrophe that was like happening that's still happening like this extinction phase that we're Mm -hmm. in this like unstoppable consumption cycle that humans are a part of and and this like this feeling that I had up into that point of, of just sort of like wanting to fix it wanting so bad to help fix it because I had so fallen in love through rangers and being um outside a lot and connecting to nature so fallen in love with life Mm-hmm. and that I couldn't understand why we were through our ways of living so rapidly destroying mm-hmm. our foundations of life. And I, up to that point, was just like, as like I said, as many, as, as much as there were a lot of people I was inspired by and a lot of good feelings that I had um, for all of that along the way, I was really pissed off Anger. with humanity. Yep. And... Being out there and um, being able to, for the first time ever, go into a place like a sweat lodge and and hearing drumming and hearing praying for life and, and kind of connecting to people who connected to life in more of a spiritual way. Mm-hmm. Um, that summer was just amazing for me because I realized how much I not only loved like the trees and the water and the moose and the elk and the caribou, um, but that I actually loved humans too. Mm-hmm. And so for a long time, I was just so pissed at humans. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? When are we going to get our shit together? And yeah. That summer was really huge for me and actually realizing like, you know what? I'm this pissed off. Because I really think we're incredible. <laughs> yeah. Why aren't we Humans up are to this? amazing. Yeah. yeah. And like, what can we do to like face these challenges mm-hmm. using our ingenuity and using our creativity and using all these things that I see in, in like my parents and my siblings and like these amazing humans that I am so in love with and admire so much. Like, and all like the incredible like creators and masterminds of our day and age. Like, there's so much that is so cool. And uh, and I just kind of allowed myself to actually realize that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow. I really just like love us humans. <laughs> I'm not a, that pissed off. I'm no. so pissed off. But like. That's a pretty massive realization though to have. And even just to sit with. You know, I always talk about honoring emotions and just sitting with your emotions. So what did you find brought you back to center after having that realization or that revelation that... I'm so pissed off, but I have this kind of almost not even a backwards, but like just a twisted reason to be angry, to sit with that. What was your, 
next step or your overall lesson from that to move forward with? Um, that's a good question. Um, I just remember so clearly the moment that it happened. I was walking home and I could hear like the drumming echoing up the mountain as I was walking back to the farm. Like from the sweat lodge? Yeah. Okay. And the sun was setting over the mountain and over the lake and I was looking over a field and I just Mm -hmm. like realized like I was just so angry Mm -hmm. for so long and that I was actually from a place of love. Yeah. And I just like hugged a tree and cried for a while. Oh, you are so my kind of people. I was like, oh God, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I actually am just in love with it. Yeah. And and so from there, I... When was this timeline wise That was 2013. Okay. So I was still working on the seed saving farm. Okay. Um, Again, like just having that space Mm -hmm. to feel all of that too. I think, I think that really that's massive it when it comes to connecting in. to how you're feeling, your emotions, your experiences is that you're more likely to do so in a really authentic way if you're in a safe space. Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah, to be in nature like that with people working with people and alongside people that really value a lot of the things that you do, mm-hmm. I feel like it's just going to accentuate how deep you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And just to have my hands and my feet in the soil every day. Mm-hmm. And I just realized like, okay, I need more of this in yeah. my life. I need to like follow this. And so the next year I, um, I guess I followed it in, in continuing to farm. Mm-hmm. Um, I house sat in Argenta for some amazing, lovely people. Um, I fell in love again that summer and, and, um, in that fall, I guess, gosh, you know, that was a really hard thing too. That I wasn't really planning to talk about, but that, that fall, um, my partner at the time, Nick Llewellyn Smith, um, he went on a hike with some friends of ours and, um, he ended up falling on that hike and dying um and they they like found him the next day and you were in a relationship at this point yeah yeah we were living together Holy in Nick. house sitting in argenta running our friend salad green business while she was away and yeah so that was 2014 yeah was that 13 14 yep girl yeah and he was incredible passionate loving amazing person his family his parents Jill and Paul his dad his brother Ali like they're all incredible humans are uh Australian um and so anyway, this is all like quite deep, I guess. I don't know if we really meant to go <laughs> into hey, like this We can always go there. Type of thing, but wow. yeah. That's, um, I can't even put myself there mentally, emotionally, physically. I cannot even begin to think about what that would be like. Yeah. Yeah. It was honestly like, I don't, I'm still like. I don't know what it would be like. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still a bit in like, wow, that actually happened. Um, what it was for me looking 
back on it was um, the same type of incredible surge of sorrow and gratitude that I have experienced every time I guess things get challenging like the depth of sorrow that we can feel and then this like just the amount of like friends that came together around that was amazing like he was an incredible human like he had a lot of Mm -hmm. really great friends all over and just this like surge of like togetherness like we're gonna make it through this we're gonna support each other artwork and poetry music that came out of this joint experience together of seeing like a good friend being with a good friend as as they went like yeah just hard to still like put words to it all but that that feeling I guess of like the like uh, maybe it's the same like the anger that I felt towards humanity and then the realizing the love that I felt and that like same type of thing going through an experience like that where it's like the like pain and the sorrow of losing someone like that and then this like huge rush in too of like of gratitude Mm -hmm. and appreciation for just the preciousness of life it's just like what a yeah yeah. Two extremes, two massive extremes. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of pulls you to, to grow, I guess, from that. But um, How did you look after yourself during that time? Like, that's a lot to go through. That's a lot to grieve. That's a lot to move, move past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, my mom <laughs> came Yeah, when it just first happened, like right away. My friends were with him. I wasn't, I was camping with another group of friends and I came home to like a note to call the police about it. Mm-hmm. And they told me and I, and so I immediately had, I immediately called my parents and then sort of came undone in that mm-hmm. time and then had friends come over and support me there was honestly I'm like so grateful that I have friends who carry um sweat lodge ceremonies Mm -hmm. like they they my friends Bob and Susan especially who are my neighbors still today and are just incredibly loving like second parents to me um really supported me a lot through that time um they they came over and other friends came over and and my mom came and anyway they just kind of like helped with that like crisis mode Mm -hmm. of holding me through a time where I didn't know how to be anything Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to eat I didn't know how to sleep I didn't know how to like I was like I was floating and in a like I was a zombie and his family Nick's family too were incredible like just to be able to connect over Skype and like cry together and grieve together and Mm -hmm. I mean a lot of that I was like in shock for a long time yeah 
Um, so yeah, the support we had, but you, what I'm wondering, because, you know, when we kept on that, the fact that you're still where you were, aren't you like in, yeah. Yeah. So I think of so many people that I know that in some way have tried to leave where something awful has happened to remove themselves from that. Did you in fact leave? Um, I haven't been back to the house we were living in Mm -hmm. since that happened. Yeah. And one day I will, Mm -hmm. but not yet. No, not yet. Um, the community itself, Argenta, where I was at that point, Johnson's Landing and Argenta are pretty close together, but soon after Nick died, another member of the community, his name was Michael Mochevsky, who was really, um, an integral part of that community at that time also died. And Hmm. he, he was, it wasn't a sudden death. It was coming. People could see it coming. Um, but the, like, this is something that I've just love about rural, this type of rural community Mm -hmm. that has this, like, we take care of ourselves thing. You know, you have to like dig your own water line and you have to grow your own food and you have to like get your own firewood and you help your neighbors because it's survival Mm -hmm. and you want everyone to survive. And that type of like really raw life experience, I think just grows really strong, gritty people Mm -hmm. and who know how to take care of themselves and take care of each other. And I really admire that. And so when Michael Machewski died, it was an incredible thing. What we what we did with Nick was was another separate beautiful thing too to send him home and the effort to send him back to his family in Australia. And and with Michael soon after, like having the community come together and then there was like a procession that happened from his home through the forest. And everyone like followed through the trails in the forest and down to the community hall and up the road and over to the community cemetery, which is just another part of the forest of Mm -hmm. where everyone lives and into the community cemetery where his friends had dug his grave the day before, like before he, you know, the day after he died. And then, and then there was nobody outside of the community who was there. It was the community members themselves who led the ceremony and made like gave talks and spoke to each other and, and did this burial. And it was his partner who was like the last one to like shovel that dirt on his grave. And that type of real experience Mm -hmm. was, is exactly like I mean, as crazy as it sounds, not like I would have asked for anything like that, but that realness was really what I was missing doing something like living um, when I was working a government job and just like paying my rent and going back to work and, and, and doing something that I just felt like wasn't moving things enough. Like it was like the experience of life itself that I felt like I was missing. And then this type of experience, like got to experience. It's Um, more foundational. It's more deep rooted. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. There's one of my like friends, he's 
um, he would always say like real life, like what the most important things of life are um, birth, sex, and death. Mm-hmm. And with farming and like seeing things and seed saving and yeah. hand pollinating and like that type of like, oh, plant sex and then the babies come and the seeds are from here (laughs) and you save them in these ways and then like that real experience like helping people with like in the process of death and dying I guess has been has has been something that's really been a huge part of my recent years of life and and then it's it's something too that's led me to where I am right now which is yeah let's talk about that because it sounds like you're just you've, you've developed or you've created a life that you love, you love, and you're so integrated in the community now. And it sounds like, you know, the coolest people and you're still Mm -hmm. able to share your love of gardening and herbs and herbal remedies and everything with those around you. It's so interesting. Mm -hmm. So how did you, well, I know, man, we could talk for hours, you and I, like hours and hours and probably have like 50. 50. It's hard to stay focused. (laughs) What are we talking about again? I know. Hashtag squirrel brain. This is the story of my life. It's okay. I basically diagnosed with squirrel brain. It's okay. (laughs) Um, But because I know you and I could, there's 50 different topics you and I could just go on and on about. Um, But even when it comes back to what you're doing now, you're doing herbal remedies, correct? Yeah, I am. And you're you're farming and you've been basically farming for several years, like almost six years. Yeah, farming for other, other people, seed saving and then small scale organic farming. And then I studied um, permaculture design and got certified as a permaculture designer. So worked on some permaculture farms as well. And then that actually led me to, so again, it's just kind of this like journey of, um, I guess, questioning like how do we as humans thrive and how do we um, live in like a regenerative, resilient, life-giving way? Mm-hmm. Um, so permaculture is an incredible component of that to me. And other than designing healthy ecosystems that met meet the needs for humans and trying to meet our needs as humans within healthy ecosystems, um, in the the searching and the looking at that, I really started to realize there's there's all of our food plants, but then there's all of these medicine plants too, mm-hmm. and there's so many and they're so powerful and they integrate within these permaculture designs really well. And I met um, a fellow named Richard Walker who is a traditional Chinese medicine doctor and also a permaculture designer. And he really like opened my mind to this sort of next step that I then took, which was to go back to school. Um, I went to Pacific Rim College and studied to be a community herbalist. Hmm. Um, And then two years ago, started my own farm doing... um, regenerative agriculture playing with this idea because I definitely don't have like a solid um this is how you do it design book anywhere there's a lot of different ways to do it (laughs) but um regenerative agriculture and growing out uh, medicinal herbs Mm -hmm. and for me it's this wanting to um 
follow suit with the importance of having local food to also being able to be um, producing our local medicine, having local medicine production. Wow. So there's an, there's a, a lot of other people in this region. We're really lucky around here to have such a wealth of information or, uh, with people who know how to use herbs mm-hmm. and different clinical herbalists who are around. Um, and now more herb farmers who are just starting to come up. So I feel like I'm just on that kind of edge of um, growing out medicinal herbs for other clinical herbalists to use and people who have home make their own home remedies to be able to have more access to and not have to buy from a global market to be Mm -hmm. able to be connected to the place that we live and the land that we live on and be like self-sufficient reliant in that way and um and yeah and I make a lot of remedies myself as well and living in a rural place having um a apothecary that people who know how to oh, I, I'm having stomach problems and I need some chamomile or I'm, I am ha- I just like sprained my ankle and I need to make a comfrey poultice or whatever it is um, that sort of like simple, both how to stay well and how to take care of like minor aches, sprains, things like that, minor infections. It's amazing. It's really good. I feel like it's a value. It's, it's something that like is a passion of mine, being able to grow these beautiful plants and connect Mm -hmm. to them and like still be in that like I get to have my feet and my hands in the soil and then also be of service to my community in that way who know how to utilize these plants for Mm -hmm. the most part and so I just get to facilitate like providing the remedies to them and do you educate people in the community or do you run workshops or anything like that to help people understand what it is you do um I I ran, I've run workshops before and mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. I've done some with kids, which are really fun. Yeah. I'd love to do more out in the gardens mm-hmm. because it's one thing to to learn how to use the plants and sit with them and learn all the different constituents and how um, this plant's good for this and this and this because it works like this. Mm-hmm. And, and it's another thing to go and actually meet the plant. And see what it looks like yeah. and smell it and touch it and like feel what it feels like. And and for me, having these wilderness experiences in going out and like touching the water and going out and smelling what that lake smells like and, and like looking at all the plants and that direct perception and the bonding that happens mm-hmm. with that, um, I see it being like equally important to do that type of thing with. Um, our food plants and with our medicine plants, especially if we're asking for help in in in, oh, in a healing type of way. Yeah. So yeah, I I do do, I do do. <laughs> you do do workshops. Do <laughs> you do do workshops. Interesting. Isn't it always funny when people say do do? <laughs> oh gosh, I. Well, that would be especially great for the kids. Just rip that out on a on a workshop with the kids. They'd be like, she said do do. <laughs> I think that's fabulous. Yeah. I love that you do that. I really love that, especially because I just admire anybody that has created a lifestyle that supports their passions and their interests and their hobbies. And ultimately, if you can design the life you love, like high five, mega, <laughs> like high 10, you know, go get it. Now, yeah. now I'm curious though, because 
when you're able to have such a passion and such a beautiful give back style of passion and hobby, right? That's kind of interwoven. Are you able to go bigger market or do you have any interest in going bigger market? Like, do you sell online? Can you sell online? What are regulations like? How do you allow yourself to expand in this business? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, regulations right now in Canada around um, natural medicines mm-hmm. are becoming more and more strict, right. which in the one hand is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other hand, it's really impeding of really safe and effective folk remedies. Yeah. Um, so right now I, as an herbalist, can sell directly to people mm-hmm. but I can't put my tinctures on store shelves without okay. a natural health product okay. number associated with them right so for me um scaling up and and connecting with my market I really am like I've been saying sort of passionate about that local mm-hmm. um just you know bubble and that, that local feedback loop that like staying local like that's some it's sustainability a real value of mine yeah right so the uh, um currently i sell fresh bulk herbs to clinical herbalists in this area and will continue to expand doing that there are enough that that is feasible mm-hmm. um i sell remedies directly to people when they come to my home and um am going to continue my education on formulating and knowing how to deal with more complex issues because honestly there's a lot going on um in these rural areas with people who maybe wouldn't seek help um who come to me and i have to be like i don't know (laughs) that's beyond me let's look it up (laughs) yeah (laughs) let's ask a lot of people and let's like figure it out right but um yeah so so Training up as and being able to start more of like a practice as a clinical herbalist would be mm-hmm. really wonderful. Um, also doing more of that type of workshops and education where yeah. where I help people like come and, and meet them themselves. Because there's a lot of plants, like especially the nutritive plants, something mm-hmm. like nettle, Yay. which people can just be incorporating into their lives and into their diets on a really regular basis. That would be so good for all of us. And it grows so readily out mm-hmm. here. And Nettle tea, correct? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Doing infusions. You can do yeah. tinctures. You can do a lot of things with nettle. You can put it in your soups, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah. Um, But then it becomes more of more than just connecting to the plant. It becomes connecting to like where the plant grows right. and... Um, to be able to like help people do that, I'm scaling up in that way to, to sort of like help facilitate those types of connections. Right. So there'll be more in terms of, um, experiential education, I guess, but that same it. type of learning that, that I had from Rangers where it's just like, if you really want to get to know something, like just get out there. Yeah. Be <laughs> in it. Immerse yourself in it. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. I wish we could talk for the next 10 hours unfortunately we're at time so girl thank you so much yeah. <laughs> and pinky swear me that you're gonna be a guest over and over again please <laughs> and i will come to your house <laughs> you're welcome and welcome you can come. show me your garden and all of your tricks mm-hmm. 
Sounds deal. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Total deal. <laughs> Thank you. We're actually going to pick you. <laughs> oh, we just locked it in. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, thank you. Thanks so for having much. me. Yeah, and I'm my so rambling talk. Nope, that was beautiful. <laughs> I appreciate it so much. Next time we can spend more time focusing it in. <laughs> the, the hashtag focus as opposed to hashtag scroll brain. Yep. Let's try that. <laughs> thank you so much, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Safe Haven podcast. Please make sure that you subscribe, like, rate, review, and share these episodes and comment as you follow along. Your generous support keeps the sharing and messages coming your way. You can find the Safe Haven podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Play Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. I also invite you to follow along on Instagram at the Safe Haven podcast for the latest updates. I'll talk to you next week.